gospel is a very particular word or kind of speech in the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, the gospel is God's promise of a son who will crush the serpent's head, forgive the sins of his people, raise them from the dead, and give them everlasting life solely on the basis of his grace for the sake of Christ. If you're interested in the, the beginnings of the church, you know, I think looking at the creed is a great way of, of getting into church history and really seeing where the faith kind of came together. In the scripture, the way it presents discernment is actually the skill that you develop where you're able to identify goodness. And what was surprising to me is that is much the way we use the language of discernment outside of the church. The real difference, I would say, like what patriarchy teaches versus what we should believe, is that what they believe about the nature of men and women, that there is something fundamentally different about authority and submission between men and women. And that's not just like within particular relationships, but men and women in general. This is their nature. What are the duties required in the Ninth Commandment? The duties required in the Ninth Commandment are the preserving and promoting of truth between man and man. The Gospel never tells us something to do. The Gospel tells us about something that's been done. Hi, welcome to Theology Gals. This is Colleen Sharp, and my co-host is Rachel Miller. And uh, we wanted to... We've gotten a few questions on recent episodes, and so we're going to answer those, and then we're going to end with sharing our top five favorite books of the year. So I thought that would be fun. Uh, I've gotten a lot of questions about Lutheranism, and uh, we did do an episode early on on the difference between Reformed and Lutheran. I think we've addressed it uh, a few times through here, but one of the big questions, and this is a question that somebody um, specifically sent me and said, hey, can you address this on the podcast? And that is the difference between the Reformed and Lutheran views on baptism. And since this is just a Q&A episode, we're not going to be super thorough. Uh, we did a great episode with R. Scott Clark on um, baptism. I would highly recommend that. And there's a bunch of resources in the episode notes. I do think that Dr. Clark's series, I Will Be a God to You and Your Children, is excellent. Um, maybe, Rachel, let you describe the Reformed view in you know a couple minutes, and then I could describe the Lutheran view. So, we would say that baptism is a, uh, a sign and a seal, summarizing from the Westminster Confession. We believe that baptism is a sacrament, that it was ordained by Christ. Um, it is a sign and seal of the covenant of grace. Um, it represents in that the sign and seal, uh, the uh, being united to Christ, um, re regeneration, remission of sins, uh, walking in newness of life. These are the kind of the summary basics of baptism according to the 28th chapter of Westminster Confession. Um, we believe it should be done in, in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, the Trinitarian um, 
formula is very important to it. Um, the method and the means, um, whether you if someone is dipped in water or immersed or sprinkled, is not considered important um, or significant enough to, to matter which way it's done. Uh, we baptize both uh, professing believers, uh, adult believers, professing believers, and also the children of professing believers. Um, and that's where we're getting into. It's the, you know, the sign and the seal. It is a sign of the covenant. Uh, so our children are treated as covenant children, and they receive the sign of the covenant in that way. The the best part, this is the one I think is is kind of key for understanding the Reformed point of view. You know, as I talked about being united to Christ and about remission of sins in, in the first part, the sixth part of the, if you want to look at where, where this is that I'm reading from, uh, so it's Westminster Confession of Faith, uh, chapter 28, part six, it says the efficacy of baptism uh, is not tied to that moment of time wherein it is administered, yet um, by the right use of this ordinance, the grace promise is not only offered, but really exhibited and conferred by the Holy Spirit to such uh, as that grace belongs to, according to the counsel of God's own will in his appointed time. And what that means is, though the baptizing, the water, um, does not save, Christ is the one who saved, the Holy Spirit is the one who's at work. But for those people who are professing faith, for those who are who will profess faith in the future, there really is a grace and a promise and a um, a special nature of the baptism being performed. So it's it's more than mere symbolism. It is not um, what regenerates. So it's kind of a in some ways a, a, a midpoint position between. Um, um, a, a more symbolic view and uh, the ones who others who believe other denominations who believe that, um, that baptism regenerates. Yeah. We've talked before about the difference between the actual reform view from the reform confessions and the federal vision view where they believe in a more regenerative um, baptism that, People are literally united to Christ in baptism, which is different than what the Reformed Confessions teach and what we believe. And the Lutheran view, uh, sometimes people ask me, what's the difference between Lutheran and Federal Vision, which I would say justification by faith alone. The the Lutherans hold to the historic doctrine of that. But um, there's a, a little summary on the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod website that I think is really helpful. And I've had a lot of conversations with Lutherans um, to really grasp their understanding. As some people may know, my husband grew up Lutheran, uh, was baptized Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, right after he was adopted through Lutheran Social Services. So, it's in his blood. And then we have a lot of Lutheran family. But Lutherans believe that the Bible teaches that a person is saved by God's grace alone through faith in Jesus Christ alone. The Bible tells us that such faith comes by hearing. Jesus himself commands baptism and tells us that baptism is water used together with the word of God. Because of this, we believe that baptism is one of the miraculous means of grace. So, uh, Both Reformed and Lutheran believe that it's a means of grace, but they believe different things happen in it. 
Um, and they say, through which God creates and or strengthens the gift of faith in a person's heart. So, they believe in a type of baptismal regeneration that, that the child is given faith at baptism. So, they emphasize that justification by faith alone, and they don't think it is the water that's saving, but rather Christ that is saving um, and that the person is given faith at baptism. Um, of course, they believe that infants should be baptized, um, and then new converts, adults also. Lutherans do not believe that only those baptized infants receive faith. Faith can also be created in a person's heart by the power of the Holy Spirit. So, what they aren't saying, there are some denominations that believe, um, you know, even if you believe in Christ, you aren't actually saved until you're baptized. And that's definitely not uh, what they're saying also. So, I will put, I can put a couple links in the episode notes if you're somebody trying to understand it, um, both that describe in more detail the Reformed position and then also the Lutheran position. There's, there's been a lot of discussions lately. I know about this. I'm not sure what kind of, it seems like every once in a while the Trinity debate is reignited and you see out on social media. Um, oh, it's been hot again this week. Um, ha- yeah. Has it? I haven't really been on Reformed Twitter, so I did not know that <laughs> to go yes. take a look maybe. Um, but every once in a while, you know, it, it comes up. One of my own frustrations, which is not an answer to the question, but more an encouragement to our listeners, is there are some big names that are respected in Reformed-ish Calvinistic circles that, you know, are doubling down on their uh, affirmation of eternal subordination. And I see even, you know, some women like, yeah, but, you know, I really like him. I I just can't, like, would he really believe it if it was bad and blah, blah, blah. And just a reminder that we're to be Bereans, even in regards to our favorite teachers, there, there's enough people that um, have come out um, with very great explanations about the error of this. I think Matthew Barrett, for one, I would just in, encourage people to do a little bit more research on ESS. Rachel, if you go to if you go to her blog, which I can link in the episode notes, and just in the search bar, type in ESS. I mean, you could, it's, it's like a mini book, how much she's written about it, too, if you're somebody that doesn't fully um, grasp it. And there's there's just so many resources out there. Amy Bird has talked about it. Liam Gallagher has talked about it and some very well-respected reformed people. So, yeah, I was thinking, you know, there's the, the part in the confession that talks about um, synods and councils, so meeting uh, meetings of church leaders. It talks about how um, all synods or councils since the apostles' times, whether general or particular, may err, and many have erred. Right, and along those lines, any any Christian believers, like we talked about last week, may be wrong on something. Maybe sincerely sincere believers and be significantly wrong in an area. So, you know, just because. You you like a particular teacher just because you've you have benefited from his or her um, uh, writings or ministries. Uh, it doesn't mean that they're going to be right on everything all the time, and we should we shouldn't 
just accept that everyone that someone we like is right on everything and we should always be willing like you said to to be Berean and to really to look into things for ourselves amen one of the questions that comes up and i'll have women come to me cuz they're not really sure who to go to and that is is it appropriate for me to go and seek counsel about problems with my husband and kind of the the concern is you know they don't they don't want to badmouth their husbands but they they need counsel they need somebody to talk to what things is it okay to talk about and we can get into some of those specifics but some women really um, struggle as, and some have even been taught that you are just not allowed to talk about your marriage problems to anybody. And there's a, a big difference between going and saying, wow, my husband is such a jerk. You know, he keeps leaving his socks around the house and just, you know, he's just awful and blah, 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 that you're just kind of venting to make yourself feel better. There, there's a type of venting that I think is appropriate, but there's also a type where you're just bad mouthing him. It's not fruitful. It's not solving anything. Um, and then the seeking counsel or, um, you know, we all have good friends that we can, when we're having a rough day, we can talk talk through these things. You know, some people that that's how they process things going on is to talk through them. I'm very much like that. And so I I think there's a a balance here. What are your thoughts, Rachel? And just so people know, Rachel and I, you know, we've, we've both been married, you know, over 20 years. So um, this is definitely something we have thought about. We have um, been able to offer counsel to to women and struggles in their marriage. And, and there's just so many different sorts of things. So I'll, I'll let you, I'll let you take it over from here, Rachel. I think you're right. You talk about the lots of different sorts of things, um, you know, the difference between complaining or bad mouthing versus seeking help and assistance. Um, you know, maybe if you think about it, you know, as we've talked about like the triage idea of, of errors for the, for, uh, or issues and understanding of, of doctrines. Uh, there are first tier doctrines and second tier, et cetera. I think that there are probably like, if you call it first tier problems in a marriage, if you're looking at, um, if you're being, um, abused, if you're in danger, if, uh, your husband is, is, is doing criminal acts, um, against you or against others, absolutely don't not even a question go get help uh go to the to the authorities um seek counsel get safe you know be be careful um in fact the the order i would do that get get be careful get safe get to the police those are the, the way in which i would take care of those types of problems um and what i would counsel any woman who's in, at that level of, of problems um if you're talking about problems in a marriage that are things that might need um, counseling, uh, serious issues, uh, communication problems, um, intimacy issues, any number of, of things that can happen in a marriage and, and can happen in a season of a marriage, 
these are things that you should feel confident in going to someone, a trusted advisor, a counselor, therapist, pastor, uh, and and getting the help that you need in order to uh, make your marriage better, to work through these issues and to to get some solutions for your marriage. Um, and, and that's not that's not gossip. That's not uh, opening up your spouse to ridicule. Uh, you know, that's not airing your dirty laundry. This is seeking appropriate counsel. Um, and you know, if if you're dealing with a lot of issues where you're just minor frustrations that happen every day, like why why are the dirty clothes all over the floor again, or you know why 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 does he keep snoring all night? You know the things that we all have we, we complain good naturedly about. Um, yeah, those things are fine to talk with your friends about as long as again you're you're not exposing your husband to ridicule. You're not um, doing it to to hurt him or make him look bad in front of others and are just seeking comfort and encouragement uh, from a few close friends to, to help you through um, the, the normal everyday kind of garden variety stress of life. I, I would say too, if you, if you have, if you're going around to a whole bunch of people just complaining about your husband, that's just not necessarily fruitful, but a lot of us have that one friend that we can just kind of talk to and you know that that friend is is going to encourage you and point you in the right direction and you'll feel better after you talk to them and you know they pray for you and um hopefully everyone has you know somebody like that that they can talk to and i i know some people struggle and don't necessarily have someone like that but um pray for a good friend like that that you can talk to when you're having a bad day a bad, a hard parenting day. The kids are being really naughty and um, you just need someone to talk to and encourage you. Those are hard days, the hard parenting days. <laughs> Those are real. Yes. Yes. Um, they, Cause there, there is something about that when you're a mom <laughs> where like, why are all the kids deciding to be disobedient today? And, and it's maybe a day that you don't feel well or something like that especially this time of year as we get closer to the excitement of Christmas and yep. celebrations and, and, you know, into the semester for school and the kids just, I mean, they're, they're practically vibrating in place. They're just so, so happy and excited. And, you know, very likely you're feeling more stressed than excited uh, because there's a lot to get done. And you're it, this time of year is particularly that way for me where it's, uh, not so much as my kids are getting older, but when they were little, I, I used to say they were like chihuahuas on meth. It was just vibration in place. Like they couldn't even sit still. And I have a friend who who actually coined the phrase, it was the meth wawa meter of, of just how, how much like drugged chihuahuas were reacting like today. Like what level we're at. And it cracks me up every time I think about it now. <laughs> so... I think one of the big questions to to add on to this is that some women have asked me is if it's appropriate um, to to seek counsel about um, marital intimacy issues, and that's that's a really hard one. We there were women that kind of came out of the woodwork after our episode with Sheila 
for instance, um, about the great sex rescue that like, I've been having these problems and I don't know if it's appropriate for me to talk to anybody. Um, I, I don't know what to do. And the amount of women that have come to me specifically um, that their, their husbands are not interested in marital intimacy and they never touch them, things like that. Um, and they're really struggling because they don't know who to talk to. And there's so, so many different layers um, for women that are dealing with that. Um, it can feel humiliating to go and, and talk to somebody about that and admit that. They're often struggling with their own self-esteem, what's wrong with me. And there's just so many different factors that play into this that are if you're somebody struggling with this, that it is not about you. And if you haven't read Sheila's book, she's got a great section about that in her book that I found extremely helpful. I guess the if and when, is it appropriate to maybe go to your pastor, a counselor, a friend to seek counsel in this area? You know, something, advice that uh, I remember from a church years ago and talking about you know, is it gossip to talk about a problem? Uh, and what they said was, you know, the people you should talk to when there's a problem is someone who is part of the problem or part of the solution. So, in my opinion, if you're having intimacy issues, whatever, however that it, whichever version of what we've talked about it is, um, I I think it's absolutely appropriate to go to. Uh, trusted advisor to a counselor to a doctor um, to a pastor or um, someone at church who can help you depending on what what aspects um, need addressed and it may not know exactly where to start so try one of those and see how it, see where it leads to and where else you might need to go it is deeply embarrassing to have to talk about uh, or it may be to you deeply embarrassing to talk about these issues, but um, we we know from Scripture that God made marriage. God made gave us sex as a blessing, and it should be a blessing in our lives, in our married lives. And if it's not, then it's worth working on that area of our marriage and working through those issues with the the helps that that we need. Yeah, it, it's complicated. I'm not sure we can even say this is the answer for everybody because mm-hmm. everyone's in um a a different situation. There there may even mm-hmm. come a time where you need to go talk to your pastor, you know, if it's if it's so severe and you know, maybe your spouse is not open to going to a doctor or a counselor and it's just become a really difficult issue in your marriage. That, that could be your, your first stop if, you know, I mean, I, I always tell women that tell me, go to the doctor, go to the doctor first. You need to rule out any medical problems, um, but maybe your spouse isn't willing to do that. So um, it may be appropriate to to go to your pastor too. We won't get really deep into this, but this time of year it comes up in our group. And is it okay for Christians to celebrate Advent and Christmas? And I I first want to say that there are different views on this. 
and this is like third tier in my book. Um, there are different views on maybe to the extent, I think Rachel and I might even disagree a little bit. I, I tend to hold to a more secular view of it. And I think, uh, I don't know, you can talk about your view, but the most important thing that I want to say is we need to have grace and patience and understanding for people who come to different conclusions. And that's okay. It is okay to disagree. So why don't, why don't you yes, talk absolutely. about where you where where you're at with this? Sure. Um, this is one of the places that I do think is uh, absolutely a matter of Christian liberty that we should be very gracious with each other um, as we work these areas out about what we like to do, what we uh, think is appropriate in our families. Um, we, uh, I love, I love Christmas. I love celebrating Christmas. Um, we never made a big deal about a Santa, out, big deal of Santa Claus, just not in the sense that my children are out telling other people's kids that Santa Claus doesn't exist or things like that, but just, we never made a big deal of it. Um, I don't mind if people do, it's just every family is different. Um, one of the places I think it's great to go in scripture when you're talking about Christ, uh, Christian liberty is to go to Romans 14 and it works through, you know, um, people are going to have different opinions. Verse five, one person regards one day above another, another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it for the Lord and he who eats does so for the Lord, forgives thanks to God. And though he eats not, uh, for the Lord, he does not eat and gives thanks to God. Um, so, if if people are doing their celebrations um, because they think it's um, God honoring and they think it's special and they they want to observe Christmas in that way, great. Uh, if someone is convicted that it's not a good idea and they don't feel like it's right and appropriate for them, great. Um, if you like to celebrate the Christmas stuff, but you you keep it kind of separate from the religious aspects of your of your your week, also fine. It it really is just a place that we should be gracious with each other and absolutely agree to disagree. Yeah, I love Christmas so much. And if I had my way, I'd put my tree up November first. <laughs> but my <laughs> husband doesn't. Um, doesn't like the tree up that early. So I actually don't have a tree this year. Well, I sent, I sent Rachel a, a picture of my tree this year, which is like a ceramic tree with Very that lights cute. up. <laughs> um, but we, we had a really, really nice um, artificial tree. And when we moved, we gave it to one of our children. And so um, we, decided we don't know we're going to buy a house in a few months and we don't know what the new house is going to be like and what the space will be like where we put a tree. So we decided we're just going to wait until next year. But I still I still put stuff up. I think my mom has like 50 nutcrackers and I think she put like six or eight of them out. And I, I love snowmen stuff. I absolutely love snowmen. And so I've got some stuff up in our stockings and um, so I, I, I love it. I, I love deck. It's like the only, you know, some people are like, 
much more creative than me and they decorate for fall and then Thanksgiving and then Christmas and Easter and spring and all of that. I, I'm not super great at that, but Christmas, I love it. So I love it so much. And for me too, I, I love that it's family time. You know, I love, I love the traditions. Um, my, my husband is Norwegian. I'm Swedish. And we, um, early in our marriage, combined our Christmas traditions. We both grew up um, with the big meal on Christmas Eve and opening presents on Christmas Eve. So we have this very kind of mashed up Norwegian and Swedish foods. And, and it's, just, it's just so much fun. And the time together with family and my dogs being noisy, that uh, it's, just, it's just a lot of fun. But, you know, it's, it's one of those things that my husband and I work together early in our marriage. You know, what, how are we going to do this? And kind of came up with some of our traditions and took traditions from our own growing up. I did grow up celebrating Hanukkah too. Um, and, uh, you know, Hanukkah is not a high holy day in the, in the Jewish faith, but it's more of kind of a traditional holiday. And, you know, they do look at God's faithfulness and stuff. So that was super fun because I got presents for eight nights and then I got Christmas, which we usually got three presents on Christmas. But um, so Hanukkah, if people don't no, even though there's eight nights um, in our family tradition was we got small things um, on seven of the night. So like chocolates or coins or just small little things. And then um, our family tradition is that my dad got us a really nice gift one of the nights and it was a piece of jewelry or watch or it was always something kind of sentimental special. So I, I love tradition and celebrating and things like that. Sure. Uh, I think the main thing that I would encourage people is uh, I don't think it's, well, we certainly should be willing to explain to someone if they ask, you know, why do you do it the way you do it? Um, I don't think we need to be active on everywhere we go uh, trying to convince everyone else that they have to celebrate it or not the way we do or not. Do, right. right. Like that's, it's just, to each his and her own and enjoy your time, however you and choosing to enjoy it. Um, and also graciously without feeling superior, like, well, I, I do it right. And they do it wrong. It's just, just enjoy it. Enjoy what you do for the reasons you do it. Uh, and, and be content. Amen. And look, I will say real quick, I have friends that, that don't celebrate it and, you know, be respectful of that decision too. And in fact, girls in our group also. So, so we're going to wrap up with one of our group admins. Ashley asked, what were your favorite five favorite books of the year? And I'll let Rachel go first. We do have some overlap, quite a bit of overlap. But what were your favorite five books this year, Rachel? You know, two things. One, asking me my favorite book is like asking my favorite child because it's just impossible to say that but I can think of ones I really enjoyed or would like, these are the ones I would absolutely want to share with others um, or have this year. Um, uh, the other thing is I started a couple years ago, keeping a list of everything I read that year. Just I wrote a list in the back of a journal just to remember 
and keep track and think think through later like oh yeah that was a great book so it's nice to be able to go oh yeah i have a list i can go see because normally i'm like flipping back through my nook going okay what did i download this year <laughs> um one book i really enjoyed i love church called tove by scott mcknight and laura berenger um that book uh with wade mullins some, uh, something's not right uh by wade mullin which that one i read last year but i read these uh, across the holidays from 2020 to 2021. Um, great books, very helpful. Uh, I liked with Church Called Tove, it, it gives you um, kind of a picture of what things should be like in the church, like how we should learn to love each other well and have a healthy church community. Um, so really strongly recommend that one. Loved reading it. Um, you can listen to our, our interview with them. It's a great one too. Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. I really enjoyed that book this year. It was one um, our pastor rec- recommended or mentioned in a, a talk, and I thought, oh, I should check that out. And then that, around the time I thought, oh, I should check that out, everybody was reading it. Um, and it's just good reminders of of the Savior that we serve and his love for us um, and his tenderhearted concern for us. And for those of you who've been listening this year, you know, it's been a rough year in a lot of ways um, for our family and hearing about God's love and his concern and his tenderness uh, really was helpful for me. Also loved uh, Matthew Barrett's Simply Trinity this year. I felt it was a really helpful book, especially if you're interested in the ESS, uh, want a better understanding of the Trinity or where, why we are where we are now in our discussions um, I thought he did a great job of taking a very difficult um, scholarly level discussion and making it accessible for um, readers who don't have necessarily that uh, scholarly or seminary background uh, about why these issues are important and how we should think about the Trinity. Uh, Gretchen Ronovic's book, Ragged, um, on the spiritual disciplines. Uh, if you haven't, go back and listen to the episode we did with her. It was so good. Uh, her her book was like water on parched land. It was just such an encouragement for me. And um, so I highly recommend it. Um, beyond the uh, nonfiction theology books that I've read this year, the fiction book that I read this year that I really love and I've recommended, I think, to everybody I can think of at this point was The Unlikely Escape of Uriah Heap by H.G. Perry. Great read, lots of fun. If you, you're looking for something uh, to read, lighthearted and enjoyable, um, I strongly recommend it. So I, I love Rachel's list and agree with that aside from the last book because I have not I have not read it. I will say Simply Trinity was really one of my very favorites this year. Um, mm-hmm. I really, really appreciated that book a lot. And I like the way that he explains things. Yeah, really, really excellent book. And of course, the, the other ones. Rachel, it's been a good year. We've had a lot of good episodes. So I guess yeah, we'll I see. Say, Merry <laughs> Christmas, Happy New Year. And we look forward to seeing you. 2022.